There's your slow jazz. Yeah, that's a lot better. <laughs> Bringing it into some slow jazz uh, requested by one of our uh, guests today. I'm Patrick Ali. This is Live on Real Estate, uh, the best darn 12 to 15 minutes of podcast history in the world. I'm joined again here today. I'm thinking maybe a reoccurring sidekick or host. CP from the office, one of our senior leaders. How you doing? What's happening, everybody? And Mr. <laughs> Mr. Ali. What's going on, buddy? Good to be here. And I'm pretty excited today, actually. We have uh, a different perspective than what we typically have. So normally we have, you know, realtors or business partners on. We have our very own in-house IT, knows everything there is to know about um, what it is we do. Brad Hine, how's oh, it going? My guys, thank you for having me this morning. <laughs> no problem. And then obviously, as always, Jess hanging out with us she told me which did you spill something on the table okay she spilled something on the table so jess is no longer on the podcast <laughs> and no longer helping us out no so we're here to talk about obviously everything mortgage and real estate related deliver some information um to you know anybody that's looking in the uh, into a mortgage and also anybody that uh is in this industry that we we love so much um giving you our perspective on things so, you know, uh, let's just kick it off. So, obviously, we know, and we weren't going to touch too much on this, but yesterday was the election. It was. Yeah. Yesterday it was. was the election. Yeah. And uh, traditionally, we, we, you know, we see out there, um, there's a lot of, like, social craziness going Anger. on. Yeah. <laughs> Anger is a good word for it. Anger going on in the election. Um but I feel like sometimes it kind of puts the blinders up of, of things that are going on in the background. So tell me your perspective, because both of you have a lot of time in the industry. Traditionally, what have you seen during election times and stuff like that for the mortgage industry or the market? And how does is there is there really a drive? Does it drive the market at all? And if so, how, how do you see that? Well, typically, the, my observations have been such that if there's any type of speculation, Mm -hmm. Rates are going to go up, right. right? And just everyone plays it safe. Uh, you know, if um, you're going to guess when would be a good day to lock, you'd never lock on a Friday because who knows what's going to happen over right. the weekend. So they generally oser upcharge it on a Friday to cover themselves. Yeah, same with re-election, right? I think uh, you're going to see with um, now that we know who won, who's going to be in place, um, everything will settle back down. Yeah. And you probably see rates might even drop a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think you kind of hit it right on the head. I think, you know, speculation drives markets uh, either up or down. Um, and then the actuality generally, you know, we see some of that, that kind of counterbalance. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if, if we'll see that this time. I think most of the voters were... Um, you know all the all the potheads out there looking for the uh, <laughs> marijuana law to pass, which it did. So, um, you know, so uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I just, I guess, I'd, in my opinion, I just don't see a whole lot of change. It's not like people are going to stop buying houses yeah. because somebody got elected or because uh, you know something, <clears throat> some big proposal was passed and nobody expected. And people are always refinancing and need to refinance. Um, so I think you know, in in my short experience in this industry, I mean, you know, five years in. I haven't really seen a whole lot of change. No. I, I really haven't. I no. mean, other than people protesting, so they don't have time to talk to me, you know, to refinance. But other than that, now, I mean, majority of, of millennials out there, because I think that that's more or less who, who it, we focus on, because that's who's more social focused. 
a lot of them are in that, you know, I got to buy or, or in the next four to five years, they're always looking to um, wait that uh, specific time period. Why is that? What is the reason that we believe that, you know, people still think they need to wait so long before they buy? You know, I think I think what we see a lot right now is is people are, un, are not they're not certain enough to want to be tied down in a in a particular situation mm-hmm. and I think we see that with our younger generation, you know, primarily is they don't necessarily want, you know, the security of a mortgage or even a a, a specific place of residence. They seem to like the freedom and I think it's a little bit of a misconception because I don't think that purchasing real estate really ties you down in any way, shape, or form. I think right. it just makes you a little more, um, you know, I think it lets your money work a little harder for you as opposed to, you know, simply just renting and, right. you know, this kind of feeling of like, you know, hey, I can just pack up and go whenever I want, which is really not that different when you own a home. I mean, right. it's not that hard to sell one. Right. So Yeah, longevity, right? So, um, imagine I've got millennials in my home. <laughs> and, um, you know, if, if we back up a few years, we'd be talking about how much is the house worth, right, when you come mm-hmm. home. And, and people are thinking, I would imagine my children might be thinking that they were losing, we were losing money. So, right. And and obviously we lost nothing because we made our payment and we stayed where we were at. Yeah. Loved so, my neighborhood and uh, I enjoyed my house <laughs> regardless of what it was worth. Right. Well, so, and in, in that's, um, you know, a conversation that I've had more than once because for myself, we bought, my wife and I bought, we got married young, we had kids young, but we bought our first house when I was 22, 23, 22 or 23 now. Um, and I mean, it was the best thing ever. I watched my parents struggle for years with renting constantly, and that's all they did, and never built any equity. They never built anything that was, um, you know, all due respect to them, but never built anything that was substantial that they could take long term and turn into something. And now for me, being, you know, 26 years old, I have a ton of equity in my home. If I ever have an issue that pops up, you know, it's something that I can tap into right away or it's something that I can grab onto, um, you know, just as that uh, the what if scenarios that we don't expect to happen. Um, but at the end of the day, I own something, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't want to overstate the obvious, but I mean, <clears throat> when you look at it in its simplest form, you know, you're you're purchasing something, you're paying the balance down on it. The natural progression of home value is that it will increase. I mean, obviously, right. there's dips and valleys and whatnot, but the value goes up, but your paying goes down. You build equity, and you right. use that equity in your next purchase, Right. and it allows you to make a step up, and that's what we see. Starter home, next home, next right. home, and you know, people are, are buying and affording larger and larger houses because they have equity that they right. build over time. So, what, what do you think is the, like, the final move-in day where you're like, all right, I'm never buying a house again. What age do you think that probably that probably is at? I don't believe wow. in it. Wow. Yeah, I don't, don't think, think there so. is one. Because, no. well, it's, but it's, but exactly what you just said, it's, it's kind of true. People use homes as an opportunity or stepping stone to something bigger and better. So for me at 22, I have my house paid off by the time I am, I, mean, I don't know, but just throwing numbers out there, by the time I'm 35, I might then sell my home, get as much equity as I can out of it, and then buy another home that was at the same mortgage balance as my previous home. So instead of, you know, you're buying a $100,000 house, you sell it for 100000 and you make your money back, and then you go and buy a $200,000 house, and you only have a $100,000 mortgage balance. Like, where does that stop? Do you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm not buying anymore? Or do you just keep, you know, do you keep stepping up until you're comfortable? I think it depends on the person. And I think a lot of people branch out. You know, I think then eventually... 
people start looking at maybe should I acquire a rental property? Right. Maybe I shouldn't sell this house. I'll, I'll rent it. Maybe I want a second home up north. Right. You know, because I have this one under control. And, you know, rather than take on a bigger mortgage payment here, yeah. I'll just, you know, take on a small one up north. And, you know, I don't know. I think it just depends on the person. Yeah. So. And, and where's this? Where's the stigma too? There's there. I think there's a stigma out there that we still have to put twenty percent down. And we talk about this all the time with our clients. And we we have this conversation about, you know, twenty percent is not the standard anymore. I think more millennials that are buying homes, the more we're utilizing, you know, conventional three percent down, even FHA three and a half percent down. Um, and those are what I think are starting to drive the market, and people are realizing that they don't. You don't need a ton of money to buy a house. It might be nice to have that, but imagine, you don't need it. Imagine um, waiting five years right. in order to get a 20% downstroke. Uh, you've lost the ability to grow that equity in yeah. that home because the house will be worth more in five years. In right. fact, you if you said that eight years ago, you might be wrong. Right. But statistically, over time, it'll always be worth more. But mom and dad told me I need 20%. You know, where do you, where do you break that barrier down? Yeah, no, I mean, it's um, one of the things that, that I think goes overlooked a lot is, you know, the programs you just mentioned, the 3% down conventional, the 3.5% down FHA. Both of those programs allow for seller concessions. Mm-hmm. They allow the seller to contribute money to the buyer so that, you know, in addition to your 3% down payment, you know, your standard closing costs and taxes and you know, I think people worry, like, my God, I need all this money to buy a house. You don't. The seller yeah. can, you know, with, with the, the way your offer is negotiated, the seller can contribute and actually cover those expenses. Right. So you can buy a $100,000 house with 3500 bucks. Right. And understand, too, you know, again, going back to the 3%, 3.5% down, what it's allowing you to do, especially if you're thinking about buying um, or even if you're thinking about selling your home and buying a new home, uh, a lot of times we find that people, you know, when they're selling their existing home and they're looking to buy a new one, they don't have that 20% yet. So that's why, you know, there's a there's a great tool out there, um, and it's something that your lender needs to be talking about, about that recast option. And what a recast basically means is that you can buy a home. You know, if you have two homes, you're looking to sell one and you want to find a new home quicker, as long as you qualify with both, you know, in, as far as your debt to income, you can later on when you sell that house take a large portion, and, you know, I think it's, uh, I think the minimum now is five grand, mm-hmm. five grand or more, apply it back to your loan, your existing loan after the sale um, in proceeds, and then you'll actually re-amortize your payment to where you could actually end up having a lower mortgage payment, you know, and it's it's just a lot um, easier now with the, the guidelines that are out there and not having to have the standard 20% down, people are able to do and buy quicker than I think ever before. So, yeah, there's a lot of tools that are at the disposal. Um, and, you know, it's an it's a it's a great thing. That's why that's why our job, I think, is fun and, and interesting yeah. is that we're always, you know, in the middle of it. And we're it able is interesting. To, we're, <laughs> yeah. We're able to, uh, you know, certainly advise people on on what the, the newer or the latest idea is or, or way to go about doing things. You're right. It's one constantly aspect, changing. One aspect we should point out for the listeners would be the. Uh, with no volatility in your payment. If you're right. renting and you have a 12-month lease, how much is the rent a year from now? Right. Right? Where if you're taking out a 30-year mortgage, you're you're standardizing your payment. Right. Uh, on a fixed product. Right. Right? 
your certainty increases. It doesn't decrease. Right. Right. So people are like, well, I don't know what the future holds. Well, actually, if you want to securitize <laughs> yeah. that, you'd take a mortgage. You wouldn't be renting. Right. Well, and, and your payment is what it is. You know, if you're comfortable with paying 1200 bucks a month in rent and you go and find a home and your, your mortgage payment is 1200 bucks, you know that there's no fluctuation. You know that that's right. it, unless you go to refinance. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, the refinance tool is something a lot of people do. If, if you have a ton of equity, you can leverage it to take cash out, which we see, I think, a lot more around this time of year. Um, or you're looking to refinance for a lower monthly payment or to shorten the term of your home. I notice that a lot, too. A lot of people are buying homes on a 30-year, and then they realize you know, down the road, well, my mortgage payment was so low or feels so low then I might as well go into a 15 or look at a 20-year option to just cut some years off. Um, so I guess that would be my question is, because I feel like I see a lot more cash out refinance right now, especially as we slowly approach the holidays. What are, what are we seeing more on your end? Are you seeing a lot of cash out refinance or are you seeing more people doing like a rate and term just to kind of lower what they can? Uh, we, we definitely see both. You know, I mean, it, it, it never... It's never a bad idea if you can shorten the term of your mortgage, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mortgages are front-loaded interest, right? Pay right. all the interest up front. Um, the shorter the term is, the less interest you pay. Right. And there's, and you know, what I always tell a lot of clients is there's more than one way to save money, right? Some, and it all depends on the individual. Some people want a lower monthly payment because they want an extra $150 in their pocket at their disposal each month. Other people look at it and say, well, if I chop, you know, eight years off my mortgage payment, I'm saving you know, a ton of money mm -hmm. over the life of the loan. And that is still savings. You know, savings is savings. Right. It just depends on how you want to look at it. So we see a lot of that. Uh, but certainly around the holidays, people typically are looking for extra cash flow. Right. And, you know, that your mortgage is an opportunity. Your, your entire overall monthly cash flow is an opportunity to be evaluated and looked at. And that's something we do a ton of. Right. Um, and it's always a good idea. Even if you think, you know, hey, I've got a 4% mortgage rate and I heard rates have gone up, you know, I'm not going to refinance. Well, maybe not, but maybe. You know, when we look at your overall picture, what other debts do you have? What are you paying? What are right. you saving? You know, a lot of times people don't necessarily think about, you know, whether it be a college fund or a retirement fund or, you know, even just some rainy day money in the bank in case, you know, your right. water heater blows up yeah. and, and floods your basement tonight i mean what are you going to do we kind of plan for those things so. right so so brad and i actually met with um one of our partners uh yesterday and we were having a, almost that same conversation you know they they kind of asked us um you know what we see more of or what would be the benefit of doing cash out refinance and stuff and brad actually brought up a really good point you know rolling in a truck payment or a truck loan um, you know, and even though if interest rates, you might have a nice cushy four and a half percent and we have to take you to a five, five point two five percent, but having the ability to roll in that truck where you're paying 400 bucks a month on and then saving interest on that, even though it is stretched out over 30, let's, you know, break down the, the stigma, but even though it is stretched out over 30 years or 15 years, whatever your term is, you're still going to save yourself money in the long run, and it's more or less about what do you need now? Do you need savings today, or are you looking at savings long-term? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, we've talked about it in the past, and over the years, you talk about servicing debt. And, right. And there's good debt and bad debt. And, you know, anyone who's, who's not familiar says, well, there's no such thing as good debt. Right. right? So there's either there's bad debt and worse debt. Yeah. Right? <laughs> worse debt is something that's at a higher volatile interest rate. 
yeah. something you can't write off against your tax. My my Taco card. Bell credit card, yes. We get yeah, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. We, we know where you're <laughs> where where spending. You're focusing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, the whole idea here is uh, is to move that to something where you're going to be growing. If you're going to be um, growing equity in a home, mm-hmm. uh, you can leverage that, that you're going to service a lower interest rate on that debt as opposed to uh, borrowing money for um, kids' college right. or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Uh, and take advantage of it. Right. And understand the short term, too, um, to anybody that's listening out there, anybody that's talking about mortgages. Um, and I know that I'm going to, Brad is going to start fuming from the years when I mentioned this, but the skip month payment mm-hmm. is a tool that we use, <laughs> but it's also, it's a, it's a very relevant tool with skipping a month's payment and then also getting that escrow refund check. You know, we have different opinions of it as loan officers. And I think some people do in the office, which we won't mention names, but he's across the table from me. Um, but it, it is, it's, I think it's kind of a beneficial thing. It's, it's, it goes back to where's the necessity. Is it about, you know, getting something immediately versus long-term? Yeah. I think it's, it's more of a perception, right? right. So, um, if you're going to be, um, skipping a payment, when you go to closing, you're actually, if you had a hundred thousand dollar mortgage and you're at 6% mm-hmm. and you're paying so much per day for the use of that money, right? then you refinance, you increase your loan amount or you lower your interest rate or whatever you do at that moment in time at the at when we disperse on the funds you're paying a different interest rate per day so right. there's you're always paying interest right. if you're using money and of course you should be if you had money and let someone else use it you'd expect interest and that's what's happening but um, you know the obviously the um, the cash flow right. right is it important to not have a payment in January when the credit card bills show up. Right. And, right. And obviously my argument would be yes. So you'd want to skip that payment, uh, but you're not really skipping a payment. You're simply moving it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, you're right. It, it's perception and it, it just needs to be explained properly. Um, you know, we'll certainly talk to clients who will bring it up. Oh, I heard if I refinance, I can skip a payment yeah. or I can even skip two payments. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, depending on the semantics, right? You are not technically making a payment when it comes due on the yeah. first, but you've already paid the interest, is what Brad's alluding yeah. to. Um, you know, I, I I don't have an opinion either way. I think that it depends. It, it's a scenario-based situation. I think people generally, if you explain to them, look, I can have you bring, you know, the seven hundred and twenty-six dollars of interest that's due uh, to the closing, and or, you know, we can roll that into the loan amount and then you don't have a mortgage payment due the next month. Right. You know, most people will look at that and say, oh, you know, they're going to hear, right. you know, the, 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 the receptors go off. Right. And it's like, well, no payment? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, sign me up for that. Um, and it's not that it's a bad option. It just, it, you know, it, it just needs to be explained. And, and uh, we do see, certainly see this time of year, skip mortgage payment. Right. I'm going to, you know, Take out a new loan, and when I pay off my old loan, I'm getting an escrow refund back from my from my former yeah. lender. Um, you know, and that's my money. I can do what I want with it. Cool. You know, that's a yeah. that's a good way to go. That that makes for a nice Christmas. Maybe we're gonna go out of town. Maybe we're gonna you know go down and see the Nutcracker or whatever <laughs> people do at, at Christmas. <laughs> well, it's it, what it is is it's just the movement of money from place to place. So I mean, if you have in, in our industry, if you're you're getting an uh, obtaining a new home loan or refinancing. What's going to happen is we have to build an escrow account for you. 
which is going to allow you to get an escrow refund check back from your current lender, which, yes, is free money. But understand that there is an escrow account being held, which is more money tacked on your loan, I think. But again, back to it, it's it's all about necessity. If I know Christmas time's coming and I can skip, because right now is a perfect time, I can skip my December mortgage payment and then get an escrow refund check back right around Christmas time, because it usually comes within 30 days, you know, that's a couple more gifts under the tree. And for some people, it's important. And then for some people, you know, they're like, okay, that's <laughs> it is what it is. Yep. Or um, the folks that uh, stack on a higher uh, unpaid balance on their credit cards and they, tr- you know, they try to knock that off in the first few months of the following year. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, don't it's get gone. Yeah. I mean, credit card debt's a whole nother topic and we can spend, yeah. we can spend a day talking about, you know, the ridiculousness of, you know, compound interest and mm. how really hard it is to actually pay off your credit card balance. So, right. Well, that's it guys. Uh, that was 20 minutes by the way. Wow. Brilliant. That's good. That's good. So, uh, you know, the, again, if you're looking into refinancing, you're looking into purchasing a home, as we always say, you know, make sure you have a professional and somebody that's going to take the time um, to really go through your financial portfolio with you and really understand how this stuff works. Um, Brad Hine, thanks so much. Well, again, thanks for having me. No problem. It's good to have his perspective. I like that, CP. Mm-hmm. Yep, you betcha. As always, as always, I'm Patrick Ali. This is Live on Real Estate. Uh, you guys have a great day. And if you need anything uh, from us, davidhallmortgage.com or 248-308-5000. All righty. Jess, thank you for uh, spilling stuff on the thing. All right, you guys have a good day. So